Well, friends, this is now our third week in our Pray With Purpose series, and um, I hope you've been challenged by this series. In your life groups, you're going to be talking about what's happened since we've done two weeks. This is now third week. Has it made a difference in your world? And, and, and my hope that it has. When I uh, started this series, and in England, when, we, when I came back from England, I was, I, I, was, I was challenged by the Lord, I believe, to spend the first 15 minutes of the day in prayer, and I've shared this the, the, the previous weeks. And the idea is that the, as soon as I wake up in the morning, pull the blanket off, put on some warm clothes, sit on the edge of the bed, and pray. And there's, some, and there's been some good days where I've done that, but there's been some other days where things have not quite gone to plan. Some days where I wake up and I'm tired and I go, oh God, I'm really tired right now. I reckon I could get another 20 minutes sleep and then I'll get up to pray. And so I roll over and then I wake up too late and there's no time to pray and I, have to meet, and I miss that day. I put my sleep in front of prayer. But then there's other days where I wake up and I pull the blankets off and I jump out of bed and I go, wow, it is cold. So I jump back into bed and say, I can pray in bed. There's nothing wrong with praying with my eyes closed like this. And I last about 15 seconds before I'm back asleep. And in, and in, and in each case, I put my comfort in front of me praying. So a question I have this morning is, why do I do that? Why do I prioritize my comfort, my desire for rest, my desire for warmth, my desire for sleep ahead of prayer? Because I know what prayer is and what it does. I know that like prayer is something that our God calls us to. I know that when I pray, it, God hears it and he moves. And, and, and what could be more influ- I want to be a person of influence. What could be more influential than me praying and asking God to move in a person's life? What could have greater influence than that? So I know all these things about prayer, but yet I prioritize other things like my comfort instead of prayer. And my question is, why do I do that? And I reckon that if we're honest, we all do this to some degree. We all prioritize other things instead of prayer. So let me bring up another question that I want you to ask yourself. Ask yourself this question. Why do I prioritize over prayer? We're going to look at the why this morning, but before we do the why, we need to do the what, because in the dots is the what. Why do I prioritize dot, dot, dot over prayer? Now, let me give you some of the what, some of the dots. Things that are necessary, getting the kids ready. Why do I prioritize getting the kids ready over prayer? Why do I prioritize cooking meals, cleaning the house, working, relaxing, traveling, spending time with people, sleep, all good things, all necessary things, but why do I prioritize them over prayer? Or maybe it's unnecessary things. Why do I prioritize television, Netflix, computer games, um, Facebook, Instagram, reading books, or whatever you like to do? Why do I prioritize the what, those things, over prayer? Have you ever ever asked yourself that question? Have you ever thought about that? Why do we do that? Why do we say these things are more important right now than me praying? And I know there's some things that are urgent. But regularly we fill up our day with all this stuff and the last thing we do is some of the most important things that we do, prayer. So I want to ask ourselves the question, 
Why? Why do I prioritize all these things that I do over prayer? And friends, I believe the Bible gives us one of the answers. And the answer, and one of the answers is from the passage in Mark chapter 14, verses 32 through to 42. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open it up. Mark chapter 14, verse 32 to 42. It's, a par- it's not a parable. It's a story where Jesus is, it's, he's just had the Passover feast on the Thursday night before he's crucified. He leaves the Passover, goes to the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we see this interaction with him and the disciples, and then an interaction between him and God. And then we have the, the people who betrayed him and the mob come and arrest Jesus. You can also read this passage in um, this, uh, this account in Matthew 26 and also in Luke 22. So let's have a look at the scripture. It's a number of verses. Here. It goes, goes like this. They, Jesus and his disciples, went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He then took Peter and James and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Jesus says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and, and prayed, that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Verse 37, then he returned to his disciples and found them what? Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. Verse 39, once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Verse 41, returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayal. That's our text this morning, and I want to spend some time looking at some of the verses. And I want to go back to the first verse in verse 32. In verse 32, we read this. They went to the place called Gethsemane. That's about 800 meters from the Jerusalem wall, part of the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. So he asked the other 12 minus minus 3 is 9. Nine disciples stay here, but I'm going to take the close ones. Peter, James, and John, the ones he took up to the Mount of Transfiguration, the ones closest to him, a little bit further. And then Jesus says to them, I want you to stay here. And Jesus goes a little bit further and prays. But it's interesting what he says to his disciples. He says in verse 33, he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. We have a glimpse of how Jesus is feeling right now about what is ahead of him. Jesus knew what was about to come. He had seen Roman execution. He had seen people be crucified before. And he knows that is his path, but not only crucifixion, but Jesus is about to take on the sin of the world upon himself. The sin of the world, the full of it, the full, and I can't even grasp what that is like. 
But Jesus, who is without sin, who is God in flesh, yet, and yet fully man, is about to take on the sin of the world. And, and because of this, this thing that's about to happen, we're told that Jesus is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. So he said to them, stay here and keep watch. Now, when I read this scripture, I went, why keep watch? Why does Jesus tell the disciples to keep watch? What are they, what are they watching for? So we're going to take a, a, a bit of an aside this morning and, and, and answer this question and then come back to the question of why do we prioritize over things over prayer, other things over prayer. And, and I want to suggest three things why Jesus told them to keep watch. Now, I don't know the answer, but I'm going to suggest three. Maybe it was to care for Jesus. Jesus was in the most difficult time of his life. He knew what was about to have him ahead of him. He was so sorrowful and distressed. Maybe he was concerned. And he says to his disciples, hey, take care of me. Watch over me because of how I'm feeling. Maybe that's what's going on. Second option, maybe there was a lesson he wanted the disciples to learn. Take watch. Watch how I handle a difficult situation. I take it to prayer. Maybe that's a lesson. I'm, I'm unsure. But the third one, maybe he wanted them to look for the, for the betrayer and the, and, the, and the mob who were going to come and, and take Jesus to the, to the religious leaders. Maybe that was another reason why Jesus asked them to keep watch. Now, I don't know the answer they are suggested, but for whatever reason, Jesus asked them to keep watch. The disciples did not see the magnitude of the situation. They did not see the significance of what Jesus was asking them to do because they fell what? They fell they fell asleep. If it was the first one, Jesus is in this battle within himself. We are read later where he says, "Father, is there another way? Is there another way for for the world to be forgiven of sin. Because I don't want to go through this. Because remember, Jesus is fully God, fully man. And his flesh is saying, God, I don't want to do this. And so our salvation is at stake in this moment. Mine and yours. Because if Jesus didn't go to the cross, I mean, there goes the salvation plan. There goes the rescue from sin and death. Is in this tension. And the disciples, if that was what Jesus was asking... The disciples missed the significance of it. If it was to learn a lesson, they also missed the significance of it because they fell asleep. They didn't learn the lesson that, that Jesus wanted them to learn. Or if, if it's a third one, they missed this whole idea that Jesus was going to be arrested. Throughout the Gospels, we see over and over again, Jesus saying, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be crucified, and on the third day, I'm going to rise again. We are read it three times in Mark's gospel. But then just a few hours earlier at the Last Supper, Jesus says that one of you is going to betray me. He says that you are all going to leave me. He says, this cup is the representative of my blood, which is poured out for you. In other words, I'm about to die for you. And there's something else. I wrote it in my notes, and I can't remember what it is. And then he says... And I'm going to drink this cup for the last time before I go to my Father in heaven. Jesus is telling them, this is the end. This is the end. This is the end. And yet, they missed it. They missed the significance of the moment that we're in. I I, I said to Michelle, I need an illustration. And you're going to love this one, everyone. Ladies, 
Please don't throw things at me when I, when, when I share this illustration. I said, Michelle, I need an, illust- an illustration where I miss the significance of the situation. She said, Nathan, that's easy. There's many, many of them. I said, give me one, Michelle. And she says, how about our wedding day? Okay. Our wedding day. On our wedding day, I had a very bad moment. So we get married. We uh, do the reception thing. And during the first dance, you know how you cut the cake and then you do your bridal waltz? My brother, Kurt, we're like 30 seconds into the song. All you women are smiling at me going, "Uh uh-oh, what's he about to do? 30 seconds into the song, and my brother taps me on the shoulder and says, Nathan, there's a problem with the caterer. There's a problem with the caterer. Shell, there's a problem with the caterer. And David Gordon, David Gordon, Stu the chef, finished the wedding waltz with my wife. (laughs) I miss the significance. True? Is that bad? Yeah, still married. Still married. Anyway, and it was that song. What was the song, Shell? And I've had the time of my... And, is that the one? And we're going to do the like dirty dancing. We're going to do the, the lifting. Did we do that later? Oh, I don't know. I can't remember. We did it later. Yeah, not now, Ken. Not now. Anyway, I miss the significance of the situation big time. In this moment, the disciples miss the significance of the moment. I miss the significance of the moment, and I wonder how often we miss, here we go, rubber hits the road here, get real, I wonder how often we miss the significance of what Jesus wants us to be doing, particularly around prayer. The significance of prayer, the influence that happens when we pray, we so often miss it, and as a result, we put other things in the way. In the first week, I gave you five reasons why prayer is so important. I gave you the why. Why is prayer so significant? We, we, we saw because firstly, God commands it in Colossians 4.2. It says to be devoted. Devote yourselves to prayer. Prayer is significant because it's a command, firstly. The second thing is that it's powerful and effective from James 5, that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. When you pray, God hears it and he moves. And when God moves, nothing is impossible. God can take broken things and make them whole. He takes up, I was speaking to a guy yesterday, I went to the Premier League soccer and I was speaking to a, an old referee friend. He told me that he, he busted up with his girlfriend for 16 years and I talked about counseling and then I said, have you invited God into that situation? Because God is the one that takes broken things and can put them back together. When we pray, he leads people to himself. When we, when we pray, he, he gives people jobs. When we pray, things happen. It's so significant. Third thing, the world needs God's church. Jesus prays. We pray, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God wants people under his rule and his authority. And when that happens, the world radically changes. Four, we're in a spiritual battle. The scripture says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty, what does it say? And in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle, friends, is not against your neighbors. It's not against the politicians. It's not against that person who upsets you in your family. But it's against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And when we pray, he, the, the verse goes on to talk about all the armor, the shield, the helmet. And then he says, and now pray on all occasions and pray in the spirit. One of our weapons is prayer. And when we pray, God moves. 
Things change when we pray. It is significant. It is vital. It's so very important. And the fifth one that we talked about week one is that when we pray, it puts God where he is and us where we are. In other words, we see him as God. We see him as all-powerful, the one who can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And we see that we can't and our lack and we depend upon him. Friends, when we pray, it is so significant. When we pray, we are influential in people's lives because we invite God to minister, to move in their world. It's so significant. Let's go back to where we started. So, so if prayer is so significant, and if you've been a Christian for some time, you've heard a lot of messages on prayer, people talk about prayer, you know it's important. You know it makes a difference. So why do we prioritize those things? And I shared about my comfort. Why do I prioritize my comfort of sleeping in, keeping warm over prayer? Well, in verse 38, back in Mark 14, I reckon it gives us a glimpse of the answer. Jesus comes back to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Simon, he said, Peter, are you, Simon Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Within the Peter, James, and John was this battle going on between, I know what Jesus wants me to do, but I'm tired and I want to rest. A battle between what's right, the spirit, and the flesh. Friends, I have entitled this message, Civil War. A civil war is where you get two armies or two groups within one nation and they fight against each other. The the American Civil War went from 1861 through to 1865 and there was a fight between the North and the South. It was over slavery. It was over financial prosperity. And we're told that around 620,000 people died. A civil war but in, in the nation of America, over slavery, over economics, over two groups within one country beating each other up. But I want to say that it's not just about countries and groups within the country that do this. It's within political parties that we see civil wars. All, all I need to say is Rudd, Gillard, Rudd, and you know what I'm talking about. Abbott, Turnbull, and you know exactly what I mean. We see it in sporting organizations. When I was um, under 14 soccer, we uh, won the comp and we we're going to play again. But then my coach had a fight with someone in the club. So we took our whole team out of that soccer club into another soccer club and we, and we, and we won the comp again in, in, that, in that new club. Civil war between an organization. We see it in churches where churches, one group of people, and there's a civil war going on. And we also see it in the Avengers. Who likes the Avengers? Who's seen the Civil War movie in the Avengers? Well, in the Avengers, they're a group of superheroes that stick together. But then there's this third movie, which is around a civil war, when Iron Man and Captain America, they clash. And I found this, not part of the movie, but I thought it was cool. Check this out. Thank you, Sarah. off, Tony. We need to be put in check. Whatever form that takes, I'm game. You 
me, board battle. Not cool. I'm gonna punch you in your perfect teeth. I could do this all day. So was I. I thought that was cool. Is that cool, Avengers fans? Not cool? Like that? Like that. That was fun, wasn't it? There's a battle within the Avengers, and, and there's also a battle within each one of us. A battle between the flesh and the spirit. Now, when the Bible talks about flesh, it talks about just skin, but it also talks about this, this desire within us to live the way that we want. Here's a definition of the flesh, my definition. Flesh is about my will, my way, my priorities, doing the things that I want to do. But when we talk about the Spirit or the Holy Spirit, it's God's will, God's way, God's priorities. And friends, there's a civil war going on with each one of us. Now, this is, now if you're a Christian this morning, I'm speaking specifically to you this morning, that, that if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit within you that has brought your spirit alive, and your spirit and the Holy Spirit are, are transforming your body. And the Bible says clearly that your flesh, if you're in Christ, is over, it's finished, it's dead. But yet, it raises its ugly head and tries to stop the will of God in your life. And so there's this battle going on within you between, I want to do the things I want to do. I want comfort. I want to sleep a bit more. I want to stay in bed rather than what the Spirit of God says is, Nathan, get out of bed and pray. There is a civil war going on. Look at this passage from Galatians chapter 5. So I, will say, walk, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh, your will, your way, your priorities, desires what is contrary to the Holy Spirit, God's way, God's will, God's priorities. And the Spirit, what is... Con- and I've read that already. And the Spirit that's contrary to the flesh... They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Friends, there is a civil war going on and, you're, and, and you're, you're, the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, bring it to God in prayer. Be, be devoted to prayer. Prayer makes such a big difference in your world. But your flesh says, actually, there's, there's, there's other things right now that are more important. Your flesh says, oh, I'll get to that later. Your flesh says, actually, I have an agenda and I've got to get this done and this done and this done. And the flesh and the spirit. The civil war between the flesh and the spirit. And friends, if you think you're on your own, you're not. Because Jesus went through the same civil war. In this passage in Mark chapter 14, there's a, there, is a, there is a battle going on between Jesus' flesh and Jesus' spirit. And the difference between Jesus and us is that Jesus never gave in to the flesh. Jesus' flesh said, hey, God, is there another way? Can I get out of this? But then Jesus says, not my will, God, but your will be done. So Jesus never sins. Even, even though he had a desire to go another way, he chose to come under God's way. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed. 
and said that if, if, that if possible, the hour might pass for him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. In other words, what I'm about to do, the cup is, is, is signifies what Jesus is about to do. Take it from me, take it from me, yet not what I will, but what you will, God. What a wonderful example that is for us. Jesus, knowing what was ahead of him, knowing and writing Isaiah chapter 53, knowing the beating, the flogging, the excruciating death, and yet, and the sin of the world that was going to come upon him. He says, Jesus, not, not Jesus, that's him. Father, not my will, but your will be done. And friends, that is a beautiful picture for each one of us. That whenever the flesh rises up and says, I want to do it my way, I want to do my priorities, I want to do my thing, we can go, not my will, God, but, but your will be done. And when that temptation comes, when that flesh rises up, Jesus actually gives you the answer in this scripture of how to deal with it in verse 38. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you sleeping? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? And then Jesus gives the answer to temptation. He says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Friends, when the flesh rises up, the answer is to pray and say, God, this is going on in me. I want to do, I want to do, I want to do. I pray that your will is done in my life. I choose to come under your will and your authority and to choose your way. In the greatest temptation of Jesus' life, he was tempted by the devil at the start and he sort of dealt with that pretty well. I reckon this one's even worse. I'm sorrowful to the point of death. Drops of blood weeping from his brow. Temptation to do his own thing. And what did Jesus do in that moment of temptation? He went and prayed. It says for an hour. He went and prayed to his father. In the moment of difficulty, in the moment of temptation, let's be people of prayer. So to wrap this up, to summarize where we've been this morning, let's, let's end this. I asked, yourself, I asked you to ask yourself this question. Why do I prioritize blah, 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 whatever it is? It could be cooking meals, cleaning the house, all necessary things, relaxing, traveling, sleeping, tend, spending time with people, or unnecessary things, television, Netflix, computer games, Facebook, Instagram. That's, that's the dots. That's the what. Why do we do it? The reason we do it is because of our flesh. The reason we prioritize is because we think, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do my will. I'm going to choose me. I'm going to choose my comfort. I'm going to choose whatever satisfies me now. I'm going to prioritize my priority list over God's priority list. Friends, friends, it is the flesh. It's this thing within us that rises up, that tries to move us off God's agenda in that moment. Jesus wants us to say no to the flesh and yes to him. No to, no to the desires of your will in your timing, in your priorities, your way. And yes to God, God's will, God's priorities, God's way. So here's three things to finish. Number one, recognize the desires of the flesh. Moving forward, what do you do with this message? Recognize the desires of the flesh. 
Recognize when something's rising up within you that, that our God doesn't want. And we've spoken specifically about prayer today, but you can take this across many areas of your life. Two, say no to the flesh. And guess what number three is? Say yes to the Spirit. Friends, imagine if every single one of us, every single one of us who calls life get home, continue to say no to the flesh. No to your will, your way, your priorities, your order, and said yes to God's will, God's way, God's, God's priorities around prayer. Imagine if we were all devoted. Imagine if, the, if we all prayed continually. Imagine if we're all faithful to prayer. Imagine the difference it would make in your life and in my life and in your family's life and, and your life group and this church and the community. Imagine if we all did it. Imagine the difference it would make. It would radically change the world in which we live. So what we can do right now, friends, as we close, what we can do right now is this. We can spend a time in repentance. We can repent. And repentance is simply a change of mind and will where you work out what is wrong and then you choose God's way. So let's spend a few moments in prayer and say to God, God, it's my flesh that's rising up within me. It's my will, it's my way, it's my agenda that I, and I create my own priorities list rather than the priorities list that you would want for me. And then tell God you're sorry. Tell him it's wrong and tell him you're sorry. And the other side of repentance is then to say, God, I choose to do it your way. I choose to be devoted to prayer. I choose to pray continually and be faithful. I choose to to live under your will and your priorities for my life. Spend a few moments in repentance. And after that, the band will come up.